Anybody ever remember being bored as a kid? Anybody? Like all the time, right? All the time. Yeah, that was my experience too. Uh, I used to get bored all the time. And I would tell my parents, I'm so bored. Like just that was be what would come out of me. Um, so I was functionally an only child uh, for my early years. Um, I have a brother, but he's 14 years older than I am, which meant that I was basically by myself a lot of the time. And so I had a lot of trouble finding things to do. And so my dad would say, well, use your imagination, right? Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, and so transparency time, using my imagination. I would go out into my yard with a stick that was about yay high from the ground, and I'd pick it up, and I would do sword battles out in my yard with imaginary beings and creatures and trees. But I was also a very socially conscious kid, which meant that every time a car drive drove by, I would stop fighting the imaginary monsters, and I would put the stick down, and I would act very naturally, like I didn't know what was going on, and then the car would go, and I would immediately pick up the stick again and start fighting these imaginary creatures, right? So uh, why did I do this? Well, because my dad said, use your imagination. And then as I was uh, an adolescent growing into a teenager, like I, um, I was bored, and, and so then Google had come around, and I would used to Google, I am bored, right? And, uh, and amazingly, there was this website called IamBored.com, that would provide some kinds of, yeah, right, right, like what the heck, uh, would provide entertainment, uh, would provide games to play, would provide videos, so that lasted about an hour, uh, and then I would have to find something else to do, uh, and then, you know, um, I don't know what happened, but suddenly around the age of 17, not being bored became like, considerably easier, Right, so, so there are a couple of compounding realities to this. Uh, technology was actually becoming increasingly effective at grabbing and holding my attention, right? So there were a lot of technological advances, a lot of tools given. Um, this is shortly before the time that smartphones started to come out, uh, but also just the number of uh, things that were available for me to watch with. My internet connection got faster. Like I could watch things, I could uh, stream, and then that kind of stuff. I also got busier, right? So my school life got busier. Uh, I had a job then at this time. I had uh, increasing church responsibilities, uh, and then I had friends on top of that and family on top of that, and there were fun things that I wanted to do on top of that. And then being able to drive and having a job meant that I had expendable income, which meant that I would, uh, I basically could do things that I could not do before. Now, here's a crazy thought, and I have not considered this until right now, but y'all, I don't think I've been bored in like 15 years. Like seriously, I've just, like I've had no trouble being able to find something to do. Now that might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but not by much, right? I've been consistently able to captivate my interest and attention with something for the last 15 years, right? Uh, so with that being the concept that we're moving forward with this morning, I want to tell you this. Uh, whatever has your attention has the permission to shape you. Whatever has your attention has the permission to shape you. So your attention is like currency. 
And when you give that currency to something, it's like payment for a product. In fact, what do we say when we need somebody's attention? We say, pay attention. Give me your currency, right? Give, and so what do you do? You give your attention, and the product that you receive in return is the formation of yourself, right? When you give your attention to something, you receive in return something that forms and shapes you. I make an exchange of this currency of my attention with an idea, and that idea shapes me. Or I make an exchange of this currency with my social media feed, and my social media feed shapes me. Or I exchange this currency with kind of my constant flurry of activity, and that shapes me. Right? So I say, here's my attention in exchange. Make me into your image. Right, so there's a bit of nuance here because I want you to imagine that you're paying attention to something that you disagree with. Imagine that you're paying attention to something that you disagree with and you tell me, but I'm paying attention to that and that thing is not shaping me because I disagree with it. Ah, yes, but you were paying attention to your disagreement. Right, so, so you even perhaps as you were paying attention to that person and going, oh, I disagree with that and here's why I disagree with that. As you were doing that, you got more solidified in your disagreement with that thing. Right, so, so you were paying attention to something. The point is, as, even if you're like trying to engage with something that you don't necessarily agree with, you're still paying attention to it and your attention is still shaping you because whatever has your attention has the permission to shape you. Now, I don't think I have to tell this to most of you, but kind of the day and age that we live in, it has never been easier to not be bored. Like, it is objectively true that it has never been easier to not be bored. Like, the host of things available to my attention is endless. Can I tell you some, like, really encouraging metrics that are happening among teens and adolescents in our society right now? They'll start out really encouraging, but uh, things like drug use and uh, teen pregnancy and... uh, you know, other metrics along those lines, those things are all far considerably lower than they used to be. Do you know why those things used to be high? Because teenagers were bored. And now teenagers are far less bored than they used to be. They have social media feeds to engage with. They have uh, endless amounts of varieties of entertainment to engage with. And so the reality is, is those like concerning metrics are actually much lower societally than they used to be. But there's a different kind of thing happening because attention is being captivated by something else and that attention that's being captivated, it's having its way in shaping those people, right? So, so like I have a host of things available to my own attention, right? First of all, I have my family, which is a really good thing. It's good to like pay attention to and be responsible for my family, right? I have my responsibilities. It's good for me to handle my responsibilities. I have uh, ministry things, right? Those are things to uh, be good to focus your attention on. But then you like start throwing in, there's more. Like I have my hobbies, right? I have intellectual interests, right? So I listen to books, like audiobooks all the time. I listen to podcasts. Uh, And then of course there's social media, there's uh, entertainment, And there has never been in history a greater number of things with easy access to your attention. So as a pastor, and then as a person who also has responsibility over my own soul, I care deeply about the kind of people that we are being shaped into. Like I have a deep concern for who we are being made into. 
It has implications for the health of our souls. It has implications for how effectively that we will be able to show the life of Jesus to the people around us. It has implications for how convinced we are of God's love for us. And it also just happens to be like the one thing that the church is called to do. We are called to make disciples. What are disciples? Disciples are students of a teacher. What do students do with their teacher? They pay attention to their teacher, right? We are called to make people who are paying attention to Jesus. So with that being said, I'd invite you to pray with me, and then we are going to dig into this this morning. Lord Jesus, captivate us. Holy Spirit, would you take away the distractions of our hearts so that we might know what it is to understand and picture you and be grateful for you and be overwhelmed by the beauty of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 3 verse 1 says this. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, if, uh, if and since, in the Greek language are the same word, he's essentially saying since you have been raised with Christ, which means he's starting, he's referring back to things that he's already said here, um, and, and what he has already said is basically, here's what's true about Jesus. Here are all the good things about Jesus. Here's Jesus in his place of authority over creation and over the powers and over the principalities that have existed, and then here's who you are because of who Jesus is. If you believe in Jesus, you have been uh, raised with him. He used the image of baptism baptism, right? That you went down and you were buried under the water, right? And that's an image of your death. And then you've come out of the water and come up into new life. He uses this picture of baptism to talk to them in chapter two. And then in verse three, he's saying, since then you have been raised with Christ. He's basically saying, hey, if you believe these things about Jesus, and if you have allowed that to define the core of your identity, then you have been raised with Christ. You've been transferred out of death and into life. You've been welcomed by Jesus hospitably into relationship with him. You know what it is to actually have rediscovered your fully human purpose of living connected to your creator. And he says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. If that describes you, I'm talking to you. That's what he's saying. So before we go further, what I recognize this morning is that there may very well be people in this room who don't know where you are with Jesus, right? And it, if, you, if that's you, like if you're in this room and he says, since then you have been raised with Christ, and you're like, I don't actually know if that's me or not, I, I want to invite you, don't check out, but stick with me, because the invitation for you this morning is going to be to figure out whether or not you believe Jesus is actually worth paying attention to. Right? As, as I'm talking up here, and if that's you, you're like, I don't really know where I am with Jesus, I want you to be asking the question and processing, do I believe that Jesus is actually worth paying attention to? Okay, so verse one, it goes on. If then you have been, since then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The command tells us to seek things relating to Christ who sits uh, at the right hand of God. That is uh, an indication of a position of highest authority right, who sits in the position of authority at the right hand of God of all creation. He is at kind of at the pinnacle of all creation. He has responsibility over all of it. And so the command to us is to seek. The word seek means to search intently for something, to search with intent, right? This says something about our attention. Um, so 
we're working with my, uh, my oldest daughter on this. Um, we'll tell her, Autumn, could you go get this for me? Uh, whatever it might be, an item. I need you to go get an item for me. And we know that that item is very visible and very accessible to her. Oftentimes, it's sitting in the middle of the floor. And she will go to the place where the item is, and she will come back and say, I couldn't find it. (laughs) The problem is not that the item is hard to find. Right? The problem is her attention. Right? She's not, she doesn't actually care enough to pay attention to the thing that we've asked her to go get. Right? That's, that's the reality. So uh, if she would go, and that's typically what we say, we say, hey, go again and then pay attention. Right? Uh, I do this too. I could not throw my daughter under the bus without then having to throw myself under the bus because oftentimes my wife will ask me to go get something or I'll be looking for something like in the refrigerator and I'll go, hey, where is this? And then she'll say, well, it's right there. And I'll go, no, it's not. And she said, no, it's right there. And then I will close the refrigerator and she will get up and go to the refrigerator and find it literally where it was right in front of my face. So uh, I can't throw Autumn under the bus on that by herself. Um, okay, so, uh, so then in verse two, it says this. It says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So seek means to, to set our attention, but then he kind of further clarifies this. He says, set your mind on things above. This is directly emphasizing the things that we think about, right? Talking about what your mind is set on. The encouragement is that we would pay attention to Christ and the things of Christ who he himself has authority over all things. So remember, what has your attention has the permission to shape you. Right, so this is in line with a similar command. Uh, Jesus gave this command in his most famous sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All right, and the reason he says this is because people are very anxious, and he's saying, don't be anxious, right? Look at the, the, the uh, f- uh, lilies of the field. They are clothed and arrayed in all of the splendor, more than even Solomon had. Uh, God takes care of them. Look at the birds. God takes care of them. And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things that you're anxious about, God will just take care of you, right? The issue that Jesus is emphasizing here is an issue of attention, Right? The Old Testament had a similar sort of concept. And the idea that where we would look to God and not to the things of the world. Now, certainly there are commands in the Old Testament that we would seek. But these, the idea that we would seek out things is kind of connected to this whole idea and concept of something that the Old Testament calls waiting on the Lord. Right, an idea that like where we place our attention on God, where we look to God, an idea where we kind of commune with God, except the, the Old Testament, they, it, it said it, wait on the Lord. That's the command that it gave. So seeking things that are above and waiting on the Lord, these are very similar sorts of concepts. They say, hey, stop, put your attention on me. Right, be concerned with what I am up to. Have your eyes on the things that I'm about. So there's a question that we kind of ask, okay, so that's the command. What does carrying out that command look like? We'll address that in just a bit. Um, but before we get to that, I just want to read you some statements in Scripture that say something similar to this. And I'm actually going to, to um, 
engage in an exercise meant to uh, engage your attention a little bit more. So this is what I want you to do. I want, like, get very comfortable in your seat. Like, you know how sometimes you have these, like, uh, feelings, uh, distractions, uh, your, your feet maybe not facing the right way, you know. I just want you to get really comfortable in your seat. Um, other people have said this, like make a sanctuary in the small space that you have. Imagine yourself, you're making a sanctuary with God. And I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, right? Uh, and I'm going to invite you to listen to the words that I'm going to read in just a moment. And I'm doing this because I'm asking to engage your attention on the things that the Lord has to say. This is scripture. This is his word. I invite you to just be aware of your breathing even, that as you breathe in, that this is air that God has provided for you and breathe out. You be aware of the life that he has given to you. And then hear these words. Do not be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you O oh Lord, my God, who will answer? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Okay, you can return with us. This idea of seeking and waiting and creating space for your attention to be focused on God, these all go hand in hand. Seeking and waiting have implications for our attention. They both uh, acknowledge where true power and authority lie, right? So when we take time to make a sanctuary, to clear out a space, and to ensure that our attention is focused, what we're saying is that my life does not belong to me. My attention is not mine to direct wherever I will. I am not the source of true power and authority. I am not actually the one who gets the most valuable things done in my life. And I relinquish my will to do his will. So I want to ask a question. How is your seeking and waiting going? Can I just tell you, like, I hate waiting. I hate waiting. Waiting is so frustrating. The fact that like one of the main encouragement is, encouragements of Scripture that tells us like the way that we are to relate to God is to wait on Him is the most incredibly frustrating thing in the world to me because that, that implies that like I can't go and like do something about the thing that I'm waiting on the Lord for. Now, there are things that I'm called to do in waiting on Him, like pray, and be aware of his presence, and spend time with him, and listen to his direction, right? Like, that's all in, like, but I, I can't just go do it, right? 
It says to wait on the Lord, that, that we're not waiting on ourselves and we're not accomplishing things ourselves. So my question for you is, how is your seeking and your waiting going? Do you find yourself working to quiet your soul before you read Scripture? Right, Not just to go and do the task, but to quiet and still your soul so that you can actually receive what God might be wanting to work on in that moment. You find you're able, yourself able to like sit in silence like without any other sound around you, right? without something on in the background, without something else to pay attention to. You find yourself able to sit in silence and simply reflect on what God's up to in your life. Do you find yourself interacting with God throughout your work day to see how he is working in the midst of your day? Do you find yourself waiting for God's power to work in you to make you the person that he longs for you to be? Or are there far more interesting things for you to place your attention on? Do you believe that all of that kind of seems boring? Do you find it easier to make the God things simply a part of the overall flurry of your activity? Do you find yourself doing a lot of stuff and not actually having space to truly wait on God, but kind of rushing along and including God in the process if he can fit in? Because, you know, at the end of the day, God is not keeping up. At the pace and timing that God works with, he's not keeping up with all of the other things that you are able to do in our rapid-paced society. I can, uh, you know, this is not objectively true, right? But I can be forced into the belief that if I go and go and listen to more and engage more and get more content and, uh, and, and do more things, that somehow I will be able to ultimately get more done than I will by waiting on God. Do you find yourself paying attention to talk radio or political commentary or even just entertainment because you believe all that stuff that really matters, right? Do you find that having slow, intentional time listening to God, reflecting on what's happening, opening scripture, and not just doing it to check the box, but drinking deeply from it as like a well of living water, Letting worship music actually alter your perspective rather than just be background noise, right? Praying for God to do mighty works. Longing for the Lordship of Christ to be realized in more and more places. Do you, you find your attention on that? Or do you find that giving your attention to that seems at times uninteresting? Seems like you might be able to accomplish more with your flurry of activity. Seems like you might be uh, better informed if you listen to a book or a podcast instead. I ask all of these questions because I'm, I'm trying to dig into this idea. Are you making space in your life for slow, undistracted, unhurried time with the Lord to wait on him, to pay attention to what he's doing, to seek him? The implications of this are if we as the individuals who make up this church body are not doing this, we will not be formed into Jesus' image because what you give your attention to is what has permission to shape you. We will not be people who look like Jesus in our spheres of influence if we are not doing this. So can I just tell you something? I, as your pastor am not immune to the realities that we have been speaking about this morning. 
In fact, this is a space and a place in my life that the Lord has been working with me on specifically because out of anybody, uh, maybe perhaps in this room, like I am very prone to the flurry of activity. I am very prone to believing that by doing more, I will somehow be able to accomplish the most important things. That if I could just fit more in, if I could have more time, if I could uh, just engage a little bit further, if I could get more information, right? And I will pour myself and my energy and my activity into doing more and thinking more and processing more. Right, so I was at a district conference this week, and this is one of the ways that the Lord has been working on this with me. He said, something specific. Somebody got up and uh, shared a story. Uh, One of the older men who's been a pastor for a long time in uh, the Midwest district of the Christian Missionary Alliance, he he got up and he shared. There was this time where people were just encouraged to share what the Lord has been doing. Um, he, He had invited his mom to live with him. His mom was in the late stages of her life and and so it was his, him and his mom, they were sharing a home together. And uh, he talked about how it, it was just so sweet to be able to spend that time with his mom. His mom has now passed. But as his siblings were talking kind of about this arrangement, you know, they would, they would kind of joke and say, oh, you know, you were always mom's favorite. You know, you were always, you know, and that, everybody was kind of laughing and it was kind of funny. But he said, you know, at the same time, there was kind of a truth to that. And the reason there was a truth to that is because he spent time with her. Right? He, said, he said, the reason that I had my mom's favor was because I spent time with her. I engaged with her. And then, uh, you know, as I got to watch her pass and I got, uh, as we got to honor her and remember her in all of those ways, that I was just so grateful for the time that I was able to spend with her. And then the favor from her that I got to receive in Return from that. And then he said, goodness, that's kind of similar to how God operates. Right now, I want to tell you, God does not play favorites. But God gives his favor, his blessing, right? Blessing and favor, they get at the same concept. God gives his favor to those who spend time with him. Right? Like if you want to see the favor of God at work in your life, Spends time with them. Right? And so, so this is what was being spoken to me, right? Who is prone to the flurry of activity, right? Prone to giving myself to things that are more distracting than they ought to be. And so as, as the Lord has been working on this with me and that story uh, convincing me, God favors those who spend time with him. And I don't want to wait Because Lord help me, like to my flesh, there are so many more interesting things than waiting out there. And I can get a lot done. Y'all, I can get a lot done with my flurry of activity. But where's my attention? So at this conference, the Lord met me, and he's actually healing me of this false belief that I am what I'm able to produce that I, my identity is consumed with the amount that I can understand and engage with. And he's helping me see is actually like best and rich and good to simply seek and wait on him. So here's what I don't want to happen this morning. I don't want to preach this sermon and then you all go home saying, well, pastor made me feel bad that I'm distracted all the time, so I better buck up and do something about it, right? No. 
Because that's not how God woos us. That's not how he works with us. It's the goodness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. It's because in those moments that we would set aside with him, he actually like doesn't leave us there, but he comes to meet us. Even though we did not deserve to be met with. So, I feel like this is a fair question and this is what's going to lead us because I want to talk about not the idea that I should somehow guilt you into spending more time with the Lord, but I want to look at the idea that God is wooing us to spend time with him. So why should I pay attention to God? I want to ask this question. This is a fair question. Why should I pay attention to God? My answer and Paul's answer, by the way, is not, well, he's God, so you better get your act together. That's not the answer that's given. This is what he says. He says, for, so for is because. He says, pay attention to God because for this reason, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Remember when you first came to Jesus? It was a coming where you acknowledged your own brokenness. It was a coming where you realized how insufficient you are. It was a coming to Jesus where you realized how much of his sinner stuck in sin that you are. And Jesus came and told you, for your brokenness, here's healing. Right? For your insufficiency, here is the plenty that I have. For your sinfulness, here's my righteousness. And so you died. And your death was not a self-hating kind of death. It was a death that realized all that Christ had to offer was so much more rich than what you brought to the table. So much more rich than what you could obtain in your life. So you died and you said, my life belongs to Jesus. And all of your life that you are seeking is now hidden with him. It belongs to him. And he is full of life and welcoming and belonging and gift and peace and joy and fullness. So for those who recognize their own pursuits in this world are empty and dry and heavy and lack in real meaning and purpose, when it says you have died, that's actually really good news to me because I recognize that my life was being given to things that were empty. The things that I was paying attention to were empty, but I died and I have a new life being kept with Jesus. And not only that, but we have this promise. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Right? A promise that says the struggle of this world is not the end, that God is doing something new, something where he's going to renew and remake all of creation. So why should I pay attention to him? Well, certainly not because he's God and you better get your act together. The reason that's given here is because he's God and he loves you. And your life is hidden with him. And he more than makes up for everything that you lack. And he is the savior and the sanctifier and the healer and the coming king. Church, I believe that we can become 
the kind of people who radically impact and shape our spheres of influence for the better. Right? I believe that this church can radically impact not just the, the space that we live in, but the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that we can influence and send missionaries and uh, participate in the work that God is doing everywhere. I believe that we inc- can increasingly see kind of the net kingdom effect of what we are able to accomplish through this church, but it is all dependent on the individuals of this church being shaped into the image Jesus. And that is dependent on our attention. So what? So what? Number one, uh, what do you take away? I've talked for a long time. Now that I've talked for a long time, what do you walk away with? Uh, Number one, paying attention, oddly enough, may require you to clear your schedule. Right? If you are overbooked and overscheduled and overwhelmed, then the call to pay attention is not going to actually be effective to you because you have 15 things to do in the next week before you can actually sit down and make space to pay attention to him. And what may be needed is for you to eliminate something off of the schedule to make sure that you can prioritize the most important thing. Right? So sometimes our distractions are the result of filling our life with important things to the neglect of paying attention to the most important thing. Number two, it is possible to pay attention in what you might call unholy moments, right? So, so let's, let's not even just call them unholy. Let's call them common moments, right? Uh, moments that you're not sitting, like, with you and your coffee and your Bible, right? Like, moments where you are just kind of going through the pace of your day and going from moment to moment, moments at work, moments at school. And the reality is, is you're not always able to stop what you're doing, But the goal is to be able to pay attention to him in the midst of those moments. I want to tell you that your ability to pay attention to him in the midst of those common moments is dependent on what you do with the intentional time that you spend with him. Right? So you're paying, the the moments that you actually set aside for time with him build you into the kind of person who's able to pay attention to what he's doing at all times. So it is possible to pay attention in the unholy moments, but it requires intentional time with him. And then number three, uh, and this is kind of just a tool. You can take it, you can leave it. um, uh, But the tendency can be, uh, okay, how do I structure my time with the Lord? What do do I even do about this? How do I make this work? So I want to, to... not just give you a tool that says make sure we're going to get ready for what it's worth we're getting ready next week we're going to start a series on the bible we're going to start talking about the bible the value of being invested in scripture and not just invested in scripture but understanding how scripture works and what the different parts are supposed to be telling us getting a broader view of of how the bible can shape and form and be involved in our lives so we're going to be talking a lot about the bible but i want to tell you before we get there That like the goal is not to just get you to check off a box and say, oh, look, I read my Bible today. Now, reading your Bible today is very important. I want you to have read your Bible that day. But I want you to go a step further in creating a space so that that time with Scripture can actually be intentional. Right? So create a quiet sanctuary, just as we did in here, in the space that you're in, right? Uh, Eliminate kind of the auditory distractions as much as you can, right? Um, get comfortable in the space that you're in. 
And then once you sense that you're in that space, that you're comfortable, that your attention can be placed in the right place, spend time first praising God. Praising God for who he is. Praising God for what he's accomplished. Tell him the good things that you have received because he is who he is. Right? Uh, make that aware. Make it how uh, clear how grateful you are. Then, from that place, open up Scripture. Open up Scripture. Let him speak to you. And then, like, take, take a passage, and then read that passage, and then uh, read that passage again. And then like, open up your heart a little more. Like, be more reflective. What is he pointing out to you? And then read that passage again. Then with that scripture in hand and that praising of God that you have done, then spend some time reflecting on your circumstances. And then honestly, like this is, this is the listening to God part. As you reflect on your circumstances, listen for what God is up to in light of that scripture, in light of his character, in light of the ways that he has acted previously in your life. What is he up to now? And enjoy that space and that time with him. Enjoy the fact that even though you didn't deserve it, he is drawing near to you right now and he wants to be with you. I'm gonna pray and then we are gonna transition to communion to enjoy a time where Jesus invites us to be with him. So uh, would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray that you would teach us how to set our attention in the best place. I know how easy it is, and I know the tendency towards even guilt in hearing something like this that a number of people in this room might be prone to experience. Lord, I pray that that motivation would be uh, stirred away, Lord, and it would be uh, the knowing of your kindness and your character and the joy of being with you that would draw us into relationship with you. Lord, and I know that that's also only a work of your Holy Spirit, so I pray for hearts that perhaps have hardened over time to believe that you are boring, that you would break those hearts to see how good and kind you are, how welcoming you are, how joyful it is to be welcomed by you and to revel in that space. Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, break our hearts to be in a place of joy when we are with you. And may that be the most delightful place for us. And now as we come to the table, may we Celebrate the fullness of this experience of relationship with you where we know what it is to see and taste and touch your self-giving love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.